This week, three sides of the coin, we asked the question, did Vinny Vincent save Kiss? Doug Aldrich answers it. And you don't have to wait to the end of the show. No, we get right into it. (laughs) We open that up with a bang. This is Three Sides of the Coin, talking all things Kiss. I want to rock and roll all night. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Three Sides of the Coin. The two that matter. Well, well, listen... Lisa matters. She's just not here today. Oh, but, well, uh, I of, guess of, of last the, week the... there were two things that did matter last week. Oh, the, uh... Mark, <laughs> I I can't believe you missed last week's recording. I can't. I, you know what? I never I never watch our shows. You better watch. You better watch last week's. What's that? You better watch last week's. No, show. I was just about to say I actually did watch it. You today. don't even just, have to listen. Just turn the volume yeah, down and the watch. sound off. Yeah, the, the lovely Lisa did not disappoint. That's oh my I... goodness! So, so you know what? Before before we get rolling here, that's a great segue. I've got to read one of the comments we got on last week's show with uh, Stevie Rochelle, which Stevie was so cool. So many great stories about Kiss members, um, but on YouTube. Chief Broken Arrow, long-time listener, long-time commenter, wrote, Wow, one of the breast episodes yet. Just wow. You can't say this one was a bust. What a treasure chest of information. I would comment more about this episode, but I don't want to make a boob out of myself. I will never forget three sides. Thanks for the memories. That was awesome. That was fucking <laughs> that, Chief, you pulled everything out on that one. <laughs> that Bravo, one, that Chief. One, Bravo. That was great. I sent we sent that one to Lisa right away. Um, yeah, you know, so it's Mark and I starting the show and ending the show, and we got some other third wheel who jumps in in the middle of the show, but then hey, leaves. Hey yo. Hey yo. Hey yo. Yeah, I remember them. Yeah. So um, before we get to this week's guest. We actually have some KISS news that we could mention. KISS has rescheduled their European tour from 2020, which obviously isn't happening. They've rescheduled it and posted all the dates for 2021, the European tour. So head over to KISSonline.com, get the dates. Um, you know, I, and, and I don't want to be a downer on this, and I'd like to get your take on it, but... Since all of this shutdowns happened, Gene and Paul have been very clear about saying they're not going to tour until there's a vaccine, until it's completely safe. And I don't fault them for that. I mean, they're in that upper bracket that is most susceptible to this. Um, obviously, we don't have a vaccine yet. Are you think we're just kind of rolling the dice that by summer of next year, it's going to be done and things will be back together? Well, Mike, obviously you and I both thumb through Facebook, and I'm sure you see some of the same clickbait I do. I I saw some promoters that saying we'll be lucky for 2022. I shared a story, a major promoter, not just some little guy who doesn't know anything, but um, Mark Geiger, who if, if you go Google his name, he knows his stuff. He basically said he wouldn't be surprised if it won't be 2022 for full-on return. And one of the things, he's one of the first guys who's ever brought this up, because we mentioned this in passing a few weeks ago, but liability insurance he talked about 
was a big, big issue here. All of these big tours and big promoters and big venues have to get liability insurance. They are not going to open the doors up with no liability insurance. No business in their right mind would run a business without insurance. Because even though, and you know, this is a sad commentary on society, even though you may never be able to trace that I got infected by going to that show, some lawyer is waiting to jump on a lawsuit. Yeah, that's, just, that's going to happen. Watch, uh, watch afternoon TV. Yeah, and see them bastards. Yeah. They're they're yep. so 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 that that that's one of the big things because I think what I had mentioned a few weeks ago is there was a venue up in Canada that their liability insurance tripled because of this. And they can barely afford to stay open with the tripled liability insurance. What is it going to mean to these promoters that are venues of 10, 20,000 people? The insurance has to be astronomical. And they've got to figure out how to operate a business with that before they can even open up the doors. Yeah, it's... Uh, look, I, I certainly am just like everybody that's watching... I, I'm beside myself missing the things that, why you work so hard. I'm missing going to sports. I'm missing going to concerts. And I'll tell you what, even just on a personal level, because, you know, everybody knows. I actually, yesterday, got uh, an email from my hockey league that said that we're going to go, we're supposed to start, play our first game supposedly September 14th that's our our league normally starts the first Monday after Labor Day um but there's all kinds of like rules and regulations <laughs> rules and, and I'm like they're gonna take your temperature when you walk into the rink and you can only you you have 15 minutes to get dressed and 15 minutes to get out because they have to fumigate the the rooms before, and I'm like, for as much as, and I love playing hockey as much as I love collecting Kiss or any other thing that I love. I'd made me go, is that going to yep. take some of the fun out of it? I mean, all kidding aside, if you put it this way, I, I would think most people watching the show have at least played sports somehow, or at least, you know, much like Doug said in, in, in what, oh, that's right, this is foreshadowing. Uh, the hang when you when you you know that's that's part of the fun of playing Sit, sports sitting around afterward and bullshitting and yeah, yeah you know especially with guys my age oh, we just tell each other boring war stories and you know of games from you're the not past. you're not allowed to do that I mean yeah because look, that's what they're telling you in this new letter like you have 15 minutes to get ready you're going to get your temperature checked you're going to get dressed and you can get your ass out there's no me. hanging around talking to people basically i and mean also, you know the I, somewhat to that i don't know if you saw the extremes that japan is doing in their amusement parks if you ride roller coasters in japan you're not allowed to scream on the roller coaster that's half the fun but how how do you how do you not scream cuz you're sometimes you're just literally scared to death but that's what all of these rules you know, people are just trying to figure out how to manage this that's the problem i mean and let's not even get into the opening of the schools which have all these crazy things that your son's a teacher right yeah, i'm sure correct. he's he's 
scratching his head going, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to be Every doing. Every day, it's something new. Uh, matter of fact, my, my son just bought a house. He, he closes in a couple of days. And, you know, he's just wondering how, because he's got, you know, here he's moving, you know, moving into his own house. Yep. And now his, you know, now he doesn't know if he's going to be conducting his class from his kitchen or is he going to be, you know, going. Going to you know, school he, in a biohazard suit. You know, because he, he purposefully bought a house not terribly far, obviously, like most people, if you can. You know, he bought it near the school district where he, he works. Yeah. And so he would, you know, have a short commute. And, you know, and it's like, it's just so. It's cr- so weird, get, 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 getting this back to KISS, people. It's great that the dates got rescheduled. I would just have a huge grain of salt with all of that. Because we are not, it's not under control. And if you just look at what Gene and Paul have said over the past few months, they're not going out until there's a vaccine. Plain and simple. And I don't, I don't know this for sure, but I doubt their minds have changed. Well, you know, Mike, and, and, and obviously just to keep this in context, Because I've, I've thought about that. Right, so you get a vaccine. You have to have the vaccine and proof that you have the vaccine before well, you go? That's what people have talked about where, I mean, and actually if, you, if you've ever watched the movie Contagion, it's a good example in a very small timeline of what we're going through. But at the end of the movie, they, they've got a vaccine. But when you get vaccinated, you get a wristband. And it's got a barcode on it. And that barcode lets you access things that you can't go to if you aren't vaccinated. I would not be surprised if, I don't know if it'd be a wristband, but like your driver's license is going to have something on it that says, yes, you're vaccinated. So when you walk into a venue, you pull it out and prove that you've got the vaccine. I really wouldn't be surprised if that's the way it goes. Yeah, we are on a slippery slope, my friend. I, it's you know, it's um, a crazy. It's going. It's a crazy world now, and it's going to get even crazier when this comes out. Because, again, as you said, you can get a vaccine, and that's great. But as we know, there's a ton of people who are anti-vaccines. What does it mean? Will they be allowed to go somewhere if they're not vaccinated? Well, the, you know, if you even want to go a step further. These trials are, just to be fair, this didn't start, put it this way, we would have started the trials in January. I'm being very loose here. How do you know that the side effect doesn't happen two years later? And are you going to be that fast to want to, again, that's what I mean. Like you said, Mike, this world's going to get a whole lot crazier before it gets normal. Because, yeah, and, and, and. Look, we that's a whole different podcast. So, you know, we'll, we'll stick but with yeah, the KISS. But get, yeah, getting back to KISS, it's cool that they got the European tour rescheduled. But if it was me, I'm not buying plane tickets and booking hotels to Europe next fall. Because first of all, as we know, we can't even go to Europe from the United States. And who knows when that will ever change. Um, just... You know, it's let's cross our fingers. It's it's a sign of light at the end of the tunnel, but it isn't over. Doesn't mean the U.S. tour is getting rescheduled. It doesn't. 
everything is living day by day. So yeah, because if you look at that, I mean, the dates are what June and July yep. of next year. Well, that was smack dab when the American dates were originally. There was, I think they were supposed to start now. Um, uh, for the U.S. tour of 2020, yep. uh, if not next weekend, was was supposed to be the start. So, what are they going to do with all those sheds they have? You know, because there's a lot of people bought tickets. Much uh, look. Uh, it's no different than me. I've I've got about fifteen hundred sunk into Rolling Stones tickets that they're still sitting on my money. They haven't canceled. Know? They've just postponed. Postponed, yeah, Matt. So and 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 and, 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 and guys, everybody out there, keep in mind that is a big deal. When a show gets canceled, you get your money back. When a show is postponed, you don't get your money back. And and the promoter doesn't want to pay back all this money. So their hope is, let's reschedule the date, and we can sit on a large chunk of that ticket money, unless you can't actually attend that date. There, there's there's a lot of business that's going on behind the scenes too, on on these decisions. So, again, let just take it as a nice little light at the end of the tunnel. It's good to see that, but. I wouldn't I wouldn't book flights and plan vacations quite yet. Well, here's here's something and and we you know maybe we could save this for a show if we don't have a guest. But maybe just to wet the whistle a little bit. Say say 2022 is is it is Kiss at that point are they just going to do one show? I mean, I don't see them being able look much like we mentioned at some point during the show about the dna and all that stuff these guys are still going to be in their mid-70s yep. you know you, you tack on another two potentially three and guys we're just talking out our asses here but at that point do they just go you know what we're going to have we're just going to broadcast one last we're show just, yeah we're so sorry we can't reschedule everything we're just doing one show we're going to rent out an empty Madison Square Garden and stream it to the world. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you, a, a, anything is, is, is possible. I mean, I would even sit here and go, well, gee, if it's 2022, 2023 is the 50th anniversary. Do they try and stretch it out so they can end on the 50th anniversary? It's kind of cool when you think about it. It is, and I, I've actually thought about that recently. Do, how how do they celebrate the? But you know, it's funny how how they. I mean, they did it for creatures and stuff, but you know, they kind of didn't bring that up. And one of the things I think the Kiss Camp in general has been kind of lazy about is celebrating some of these releases, We've the Destroyer and Alive, and yeah. all these classic records. They could have done really cool things with them, and 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 let. We, we'll keep it short because, again, this could be a whole other episode. But in my personal opinion, what they're doing, because yeah, you saw they just released a double platinum special bundle and stuff. like That's not celebrating. That's just bundling a bunch of merchandise together. Hey, for a bunch of money, you get a piece of vinyl, you get a T-shirt, you get some coasters, you get a poster, whatever. That's not celebrating. We're talking about really doing something like I, I I haven't really gotten the full gist of it yet, but ACDC has got something they're planning to do to celebrate 
um, the 40th anniversary of Back in Black, which is this month. They've been all over Facebook with new things, and I feel like they're going to do something to truly celebrate and remember the album. I just don't yeah, feel like Kiss look, has done that. No, I and I, you know, I gotta, I gotta tell you, just as a fan, don't get me wrong, I really like that long sleeve double platinum shirt. I think it's yes. cool. Um, but I, I gotta admit, I wasn't knocked out with the vinyl, and I, and I thought just for what they're charging for, is it two hundred dollars? Two hundred bucks, something like that. For and and he put it this way: if if I'm gonna spend two hundred bucks. I want audiophile sound. I don't know if you guys know too much about picture discs. They do not sound as good as regular pressed on black vinyl. I mean, they'll even, matter of fact, I've got a number of picture discs that say that right on the jackets. These don't compare with, you know, with regular vinyl audio, just the way they're made. So I'm like, no, that shit just doesn't do anything for me. Well, you know, I, I, and 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 if 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 it was me, it's just the same songs that are on double platinum already. So I'm not getting anything new audio-wise. Yeah, it's a new pressing, and if if you're that geek about it, good for you. It's not for me, but you know, I would like to have an extra disc of. I don't know. You dig into your archives and you pull out demos. You pull out some live interviews. Remix more. Remix something. Yeah, something like that. Include some new audio commentary talking about recording, you know, the new, the, I I don't know. I'm just saying I want something more that hasn't been out there before. And a T-shirt, as cool as it is, is not that for me. I will tell you. I love with a capital L that Destroyer resurrected. I just think that was so cool. And I I love the nuances. And that's what I thought they should have done for Double Platinum. Now we have the normal 15 songs or whatever Double Platinum is, 20 songs. Give us another at least 10 songs that you went back to the original Master 24 track and remix. And they could have even maybe ask someone like Eddie Kramer or Bob Ezrin to do, or you know what? They could even have, have taken this would have been kind of neat. I don't think it's such a hot thing now, but uh, what the heck's his name? Uh, the guy who produced with the Beastie Boys. Oh, Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin. I'd and always Rick, like to see what he could do with Kiss. Yeah, that's my point. Why don't you go? You know what? Here's double platinum, and then we're gonna get. Rick Rubin to remix 10 other songs that aren't on double platinum. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, Using the original 24 track. That's thinking outside the box. That's, that would get me excited. Yep. Not, not here's again. And guys, look, I I know a lot of people collect this and, and look, you look, I'm a geek. I love collecting stuff, but that it's just, ugh. It just nothing, it's, and I and I got to tell you too. And God love them. A lot of my friends are getting the. And please, if you if you like this stuff, I'm happy that you're happy. But much like you have behind you, Michael. Well, you know because you're the, your wallpaper at the moment. But I I'm someone who collects the actual 
gold and platinum records, the ones that they gave people right. back in the 70s and 80s. Not, not one that anybody could just buy. Yeah, it just, to me... Now, granted, those awards that they sell do look very cool, and they would look great on a bar wall yes. or anything like that. Yes. I, I totally get it. But this comes all the way back to what you first brought up. They just are not celebrating. They're merchandising these anniversaries. But that's not celebrating. I mean, couldn't you sit here and go, okay, we know in six months we're celebrating this album. Let's dig up all sorts of old scans that we've got. Go over to Gene's vault that he lives in and go, Gene, can we get old magazine covers from back then? How about at, you know record store ads from back then? Old tape interviews, let's digitize them. Oh, Gene and Paul, why don't you sit down and record 30 minutes of what you remember back in 1978 and put that out over the over a couple months period on the internet? That's celebrating. That's remembering. Bruce Kulick does a great job celebrating albums that he was on. You know, he 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 shares stories and photos and he pulls out the old costume piece and go, this was what I wore, and on this photo. Bruce does a great job doing that. Yeah, Kiss he just does a belt from uh, the Creatures, his re, you know, they did yep. his picture. Yeah, he just did something cool. Yeah, Bruce is such a great guy. He really is, um, you know, so. All right, so let's get on to this week's guest. This is a very cool guest, very cool interview. We're joined by guitarist Doug Aldrich. He's in the Dead Daisies right now. He was he's performed with Dio. He's performed with White Snake. Performed with uh, Glenn Hughes. Of course, Glenn is in the Dead Daisies now. He also and he was in Lion, which was in Lion. Really- if you remember Lion from the eighties, Hur- Hurricane, Hurricane, yep. um, and he talks about auditioning to replace Ace Frehley, which so, was really cool. Really cool. You know, and you could see as he's telling his story, he's trying to remember and go back there. It was just, it was very cool. It was a very personal thing that, that he was sharing. I, I could tell by the way he was talking about it that he knew why he didn't make yeah. the cut. You know what I mean? And it's in, in not to give anything away, but it's a part of the growth that yep. turns him into what he is today, you know? Yeah. So, so, so let it roll. Doug Aldrich, such a cool interview.
Want to get your official Three Sides of the Coin logo and Shocker tee? Now you can. We ship worldwide. Get yours online at shop.threesidesofthecoin.com. everybody in three sides of the coin world we are extremely excited to be joined by doug aldrich the guitar player doug aldrich now now doug let let, let me let me just do a quick rundown i'm pulling this off of wiki so as we know sometimes wiki isn't exactly the most accurate but just so everybody who's watching you are currently in the dead daisies yes you've been in white snake Dio, Lion, Hurricane, House of Lords, Bad Moon Rising, Revolution Saints. You founded the band Burning Rain. You toured with Glenn Hughes. Um, you you played. What was the 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 event in Vegas where you were? Um, oh, raiding the Rock Vault. Yeah. Raiding the Rock Vault. I mean, so everybody out there, this guy's got the goods. <laughs> well. I've been I've been really lucky, guys. So just so just so you know, it's not like I don't. I just try to do my best. I'm, tr I'm still trying to get better during this uh, this time at home. I'm trying to really play as much as I can and figure out what I need to improve on and stuff. But all those gigs, I mean, I'm old dude. You know that's why. It's because it's been a, it's been a long. <laughs> I've had a long, very long career. I basically started, you know, when I was a kid. So. Well, so so let's 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 make our Kiss listeners happy, so they don't bail on us right away. Um, you've got a little bit of history. Yep. I so think, you um, you like, you auditioned for the band. Why don't you fill us in on this? Well, basically, um, I I came out to Los Angeles in 82, 81, Sorry, eighty one, just after high school. And um, I immediately started, I went, there used to be this paper that you could, you know, advertise for musicians and stuff. And um, I joined a band with some guys that were looking for, you know, other musicians to jam with. And uh, we started playing immediately. We were writing songs and also doing covers. And um, we played our first couple gigs. I can't remember where they were, but then we ended up playing at Gazzari's on Sunset Strip. It was a famous club you guys probably heard of it oh yeah and um one day a girl came in and she said her boyfriend was Eric Carr and that they were looking for a guitar player for Kiss and she thought I would be really good for it and I thought she was I thought it was a joke you know I thought he was just winding me up <laughs> and then we, we played there um we played there a couple weeks later and she came and she brought Eric and I was kind of it was dark in there but I could see his hair it looked like him, but of course, nobody had ever seen their faces yet. And so, but it was, it was him. And he, I, um, I gave him my number at work. I didn't have a home phone at that time, but um, he called my work a few days later and invited me to come down to the record plant. And I met Gene and Paul there. And then, you know, it was weird seeing those guys without makeup because you felt almost guilty. <laughs> you know, supposed to be seeing this, like looking at your... You know, it's like, should I sit in this room with my eyes closed? Well, it's just like, you know, you just feel like, okay, no one's supposed to see these guys in here. They're just walking around with, and you got to get, you know, when you haven't seen somebody's face, 
you, you don't really, you know, you, of course you knew who the guys were, but you didn't realize what they looked like. And they, you know, they, uh, they look cool. It was just, it was just weird. So anyway, um, they said to me, can you put some solos on some of these songs? And I remember, um, there was a song, I think is, is War Machine on? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Isn't it? So he, that was one of the, there was a couple songs that was pretty easy, but War Machine threw me a little bit. Like it was a weird riff. I couldn't quite, couldn't quite capture it yet. You know, it was like really cool. It was very, I mean, that's one of my favorite songs of theirs because of that riff now. But at the time I was struggling a little bit to plan it. And Gene said, um, you, you know, can you play some major scales on that part right there? And I was like, what major scales? I don't know what that is. And he said, do, re, mi, fa, you know, that whole thing. I go, yeah, of course I can play that. And I just, I had learned by ear, and this was the first time I realized that, you know, probably should learn about music more. <laughs> but anyway, I did good enough where they said, okay, let's, we're going to jam together. And we, there was a place in, in Hollywood called SIR, Studio Instrument Rentals. Yep. And um, there was like an airport. It was like an airport hangar inside. It was big, and they, we were, we jammed in there a few songs, Firehouse and Black Diamond. Black Diamond was like, for them at that time, they told me it was kind of like their stairway to heaven, and um, so we played that. And there was one other one I can't, I think I can't remember. Maybe it was Strutter or something. But it was my first time to play through stacks of Marshalls, and it was amazing. So um, now, now, did, now, when 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 they called you in to the record plant, did did you go in there knowing this was part of an audition process, or was it just sort of like Eric saying, "Come on down, I want you to meet Gene and Paul," and they said, "Hey, could you put some tracks down on the album, play something on this?" Is that they, how it started? Well, I did, I assumed that it was some kind of an audition thing. I don't remember exactly what was said, but but. The stuff that I put down obviously isn't on the record. I don't. I don't even remember what I played. I. I, I just know that I. I thought it was pretty good, and it, and, I mean, I thought it was okay at least. And then they called me to, to come jam. We did, and they called again to come jam, and we did. But I mean, in the end result was I was just. I have no. I had no real experience, especially. You know, I didn't really feel. You can tell when somebody's comfortable around you, and I definitely wasn't there. I mean, I was a kid. I was I was 18 in age, but probably more like 14 in my experience, you know. And um, these guys were megastars, you know. So it was just it was I wasn't ready for that part of it. Well, Doug, were you a fan already? I mean, did did you know the songs when you walked in? No, I had to learn them. I knew some of the songs. I I listened to. Uh, to be honest, you know, my my younger sister had the Kiss. I didn't have a record player. She had a record player, and she had Kiss Alive, and then eventually she got Kiss Alive too. And um, I remember listening in headphones. I'd go into her room and listen to those records, and it was so cool because it was, you know, this live thing. You'd crank it up, and it was it was awesome. Um, I remember I really loved Cold Gin that riff. I thought it was a great riff, you know. And um, and then uh. I kind of, you know, I mean, to be honest, I was mostly into bands like Zeppelin, Deep Purple, and stuff oh, like that's that. That's cool. There's nothing wrong with that. Jeff Beck was my first, like, real guitar hero guy, and then Jimmy Page. But, of course, I loved Ace Frehley's work, and 
he reminded me a lot of Jimmy Page, the way he played. Um, and they, 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 they kind of would say that, too, about Ace. Those guys were like, yeah, you know, as they compared Black Diamond to the, it was like their stairway to heaven. And you can hear how Ace kind of played like that melodic blues, guitar playing, rock and roll. Lots and, of bands. Yeah. Well, so, it, sounds, it sounds to me from what you're saying is, is that even though you didn't get the opportunity, that was a great lesson to help you push forward. Totally. It was a great lesson and it really encouraged me and, and it made me feel good. My friends, you know, actually on the second time I went down to jam with them, um, my car had broken down and my, I had to get my, my buddy from school um, that had just moved out here to Los Angeles from Philadelphia to drive me. So he was with me and he was like super impressed. Hey, man, you know, they used to, my nickname in, in school was Cubby. Cause, cause I was just like a little kid, like Cubby O'Brien from the Mickey Mouse show or something like this. <laughs> <laughs> so he would be like, Cub. He would call me. He was like, Cub, man, I can't believe you're jamming with Kiss. That's so cool. And I was just like, dude, don't call me Cub in front of those guys. You know? <laughs> Because you, you're thinking to yourself, what are they? If I get this gig, what are they going to turn me into a teddy bear? <laughs> it's pretty funny, Kobe. So anyway, the long the end of the story is is that I didn't get the gig, but I got very inspired, and um, and then about six months, eight months later, they were playing on tour for Creatures of the Night in Los Angeles, and I called a couple of days beforehand. Gene had give me his his giving me his number and he remembers this whole thing and so I, it sometimes gets reported in the press like it, like it was a bad thing he hung up on me and stuff but it wasn't really it wasn't bad it was just like you know when you're on tour and you're in this bubble on tour when you come back to your hometown it's always a little bit weird because you, you're just getting hit left and right for for tickets or whatever and yeah. so I called Gene a couple of days beforehand and I had my buddies behind me and I was like, hey, Gene, this is Doug Aldrich, you know, and is it any way possible we can get tickets and backstage for the show, you know? And he was like, he basically just said, lose my number. <laughs> like, and then he, we both hung up, you know. He, oh. I don't know, it was sounded like a party going on. I mean, and then here's this kid calling up going, can I get tickets for me and my friends? And just not having any clue how crazy it is when you're playing your hometown and especially a big town like LA or New York or something. So I just said, sorry guys, ain't gonna happen. And that's it, you know, I was, it didn't really matter that much, but that's the whole story. Until later with House of Lords, Gene approached me and said, I want you to join this band. And I said, I'm already in a band. I can't join the band, but I'll do the sessions. So we did that for Simmons Records, the House of Lords stuff. For the for the debut album, no, it was the second album, Sahara. It was, okay, it had uh, a cover of "Can't Find My Way Home" from Blind Faith. Yep, yeah. And we had I had just played on the demos for favor. I guess Lanny Cordola, their guitar player, left or they fired. I'm not sure what happened, but they asked me to play on some demos, and I did. And the demos turned out really good. And they thought, let's just get this guy to be in the band. Or since I couldn't be in the band, we. I just did the album, the majority of the stuff on the album. Were you kind of shocked that Gene called you up after your last phone call? No, he didn't call me. I 
what happened is, is um, we got into rehearsals for pre-production for the for the album, and he showed up. And he and I said, "Do you remember when I talked to you last?" And he says, "Yeah, you called my house." <laughs> but Gene, you never know with Gene. He, you know, he's got he's he's got the most a super dry sense of humor, yep. as you guys I know. Yep. Do so you never know? Yes. I mean, he could have been just joking. Right. With him, you don't know. You don't know. That's that's basically it. So so back 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 to the the audition. Do you recall? Was it was it Gene and Paul who gave you some reason why they were passing on you, or was it just kind of one of those we all know it's not working? The first time it felt pretty pretty good. We just jammed, and then they said, "Cool." So we'll, we'll, we'll get back to you. And then when they called me, they when they called and said we want to play again, I thought, "Wow, that's." That's pretty cool. But during that one, I started to get really nervous. And, you know, it, I, was, I just wasn't ready to be. These guys were talking about who they were dating and, and you know, actresses. And it was just not, I just and, wasn't. And, and, and you're, you're in that frame of mind of, I don't know how I'm getting back home after the rehearsal. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, um, it, it was, uh, was kind of clear to me that it was a little awkward. But they were super nice about it, and Eric walked me out, and then he called me a couple days later and said, "Yeah, you you're, you did great, man. You did really good, but you, you, you know, we're we're looking for somebody with a little more under their belt, you know." And yeah. Did they ask you us uh, to sing it all on uh, the second rehearsal? No, I don't think so. In fact, the second rehearsal, we only really played. I think they had me. We were playing Doctor Love, or, and then we did. They did ask me to learn um, Dr. Love and Rock and Roll All Night, something like that. Maybe there was one other one, but I, we only played two songs, and then we took a break. They wanted, I actually, we played a couple of songs, and then Gene came around and wanted me to do a guitar solo. And um, so I did a guitar solo, and then we took a break, and then that was it. It was, I think that at that time, Paul probably, you know, the audition process is very tedious for bands. When you're trying to find the right guy, the right fit, and it's not always about the playing, you know, it's about the hang. It's about mm-hmm. hanging together. It's just, it's just like anything. Anybody that you enjoy being around, it's like I'd rather, even though the, this guy's not a, the, the best uh, soccer player or whatever, he's really cool. He's fun to hang with. He makes me laugh. So I want to play. I want to play with him. You know, that's I would like him on my team. That's how it is with with music. Absolutely. Of course, you need to be. You got to be. You got to have talent and stuff. But it's definitely a lot to do with luck and then the hangout. You know, the personalities. Do you recall anybody else auditioning at that time while you were in and out? Did they say anything? Did you see anybody? Uh, I, I've heard. I can't remember who did, but some famous people. I think, at least famous to me, were, were t- they were looking at, but they didn't work out either. I guess. And then they got they got Vinnie Vincent. And I thought he did. He was awesome. <laughs> let let let's throw that curveball <laughs> question at you right now. It'll just be interesting to see your take as a guitar player who auditioned, because Vinnie Vincent, as you know, is like love him or hate him. I mean, he is just the most out there person you could think of. 
incredibly talented songwriter, but he has a personality that can sometimes go the wrong way. So we ask a lot of people this yeah, this simple we asked people this question because he came in for Creatures, which obviously Creatures was a return to Kiss sounding heavy metal and then Lick It Up, which kind of reignited the band's career. So do you think Vinnie Vincent saved Kiss? Um, maybe in some ways. I mean, they really were. I think from now that, that you bring it up, when I remember they had... They had all cut their hair for the elders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, and it was kind of going weird. They had put a... Was that song... Uh, was it kind of a disco song? I, 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 I Was Made For Loving You. I Was Made For Loving You was a couple was albums 79. earlier. That was 79 on the Dynasty album. But oh, that, 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 that whole time period from Dynasty, the follow-up album was Unmasked, and then The Elder was basically burying Kiss amongst the Kiss fans because they were going disco and then pop, and then The Elder was this crazy concept album that nobody got, and as you said, they cut their hair. They weren't wearing platforms anymore. Creatures of the Night, where they were auditioning you, was the return to the bombastic, hard and heavy Kiss that people well, I would say that he it was definitely a good move. They wanted a guy that could play. They, they wanted... Everybody at that time, 82, 83, everybody kind of going a little more for the the technical guitar playing thing. Sure. And yeah, the Van Halen sound. Yeah, everybody needed, everybody thought it was important to have that guy, and maybe Ace was starting to wear out, you know, it wasn't as, I mean, you've you, you got to you beat yourself in the head going, Ace wasn't really hanging with it. Because Ace is amazing. He's an amazing guitar player. He's got his own sound, and he's he's a legend, you know. But during that time, it was really like guitar was the thing. So they got Vinny, and but I really think it comes down to the songs. I mean, maybe Vinny. I don't know if he wrote any of those songs, to be honest. But the songs that I heard, War Machine and um, I Love It Loud. Is that on there? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's Vinny co-wrote I Love It Loud. Who did? Well, and see, and, and just to kind of clarify, the reason I roll my eyes is that for me, one of the things I liked about the band, just like I like about a lot of other bands from that era, is that classic sound, the blues guitar player. A lot of what you do, at least from my familiarity with, with the different things you've done, whereas Vinny was just like someone shot out of a cannon. And it, it <laughs> for me, it just changed the dynamic of the songs so much that I sat there listening going, I don't want a million miles a minute. I just want a really cool guitar solo. And so that's where this all gets debated so often because it's just such a different way to look at things. And to your point earlier, like you said, they wanted these certain type of technical players, but that doesn't always necessarily mean, at least in my opinion, as a music fan, that that's the right person for the band either. Yeah, it's true. You know, it was, it was their call. But I, I would say, I would look at like, who's responsible for the comeback is it was, it, I think the band made a decision to get back to their roots and they came up with a really strong record and then they followed it up with, with really strong record and they were right in the groove again. And, uh, and then the, um, I know, you know, I, I, obviously there were songs on the radio, there were songs on MTV. So I heard that stuff, but to be honest at that time, I wasn't even in a position to be buying 
records really. I was, I was, you know, struggling financially as a musician. It usually does in the beginning. So I didn't hear any of that stuff other than what was on coming on the radio or TV or something. Now, another person who had uh, a big influence on Creatures of the Night and Lick It Up was the producer of both those albums, Michael James Jackson. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and we had we had him on a couple years ago, and I remember him saying one of the things about Kiss was the songs weren't there, and Michael was going out and calling everybody he knew that was a songwriter to find somebody to bring in great songs. And, and even on Creatures of the Night, I'll be corrected if I'm wrong on this, but I think there were seven different lead guitarists who laid down tracks across yeah. that album because he was all about a great song and he put all that work into doing it. The little bit that you were in the studio, was Michael around at all? Do you recall anything? I might've met him, but I only, I, I got to know him later where he was, he, he produced a record with hurricane. So That's right. I got, yes. I got to work with him during that. And, the interesting thing is, is that at that time, I had gained, I was, I had, let's say that was, maybe that was 89, I guess, when I, or 90. So I had gained quite a bit of experience with this band Lion that I had been in. Yep. And Lion fell apart. One of the guys got hurt uh, and the band broke up. Um, so when I got that, that situation going with Hurricane, Michael came in and I kind of felt like I was a little bit of a know-it-all guitar player guy. You know, I'd kind of gotten a reputation around town and that was that was for good for playing. And, and you know, I've always been, tried to be a reasonable person, but, but I was definitely, um, I was definitely not the easiest guy to work with for him because he wanted to do all this stuff this experimenting and I, I was like i had the vision of the songs the way they would be in my head and I, I was trying to achieve that and we just butted heads a lot with michael but then you know we i met him on a kiss cruise a couple two or three years ago and we had a laugh about it but he, he was like you know yeah you were just a, a stubborn kid you know and <laughs> but we we made a good record with hurricane together so it turned out good let me let me ask you on the on on that topic that you just brought up there what what what's the challenge how do you get through a recording when one of the band members guitarists songwriters whoever it is is butting heads with the producer how how does that work itself out and and what happens if it doesn't work itself out who wins well in that situation um i would say he won a lot of it. He won a lot of it. There was one situation that came up that um, there was one. He he. One night he said we, we were just he, we just weren't really gelling. But I was like I didn't care. I was just playing as best I could, and we had worked hard on the songs. And I had brought four songs to the band as well as co-writing the other stuff with them. But um, and he liked them, and one of them turned out to be the the first single. We just for it was more sonically that we didn't get along. He wanted to do a lot of overdubs and textures and 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 like counterpoint melody stuff that 
is actually very cool, you know. But I just was I wasn't into it at that time. I was into the less is more kind of thing, and it wasn't until you know working with, when I got to work with a second guitar player in White Snake with Red Beach. Then we could I was cool with it because we could we could pull that off. But I was afraid of like how am I going to pull this stuff off where there's a counterpoint melody live. So we, we, we butted heads on that a lot. And then one night he said, hey, I want to take you out for dinner. And I was like, okay, this is probably the, from, like the axe. <laughs> he goes, he goes um, I guess you're wondering why I took you out. And I go, yeah. He goes, you know that solo for, I think it was called Let It Slide. Song. And I go, yeah. And he goes, we were cleaning the tape. We were cleaning a track, you know, cleaning up, clearing up some, some tracks. And... Um, uh, solo got erased and back in those days you know you have a solo on tape and there was no backup for it really so if it, if yeah. it got erased or if something happened to the tape so he was like i'm really sorry and you know you think you could i go it's all right you know i i can't put i don't remember exactly what it was because we were just recording and moving on but i ended up putting a, a solo that i was really happy with anyways but that's when I kind of got a little bit of an edge on him because he had he had made a mistake like that. Usually, <laughs> finally, that would be a major mistake for a producer or engineer, you know, yeah. erase something like that. Um, but I didn't I didn't give him a hard time at all. The thing I gave him a hard time was finally was um, he got a guy called Chris Lord Algae to mix the album, and he said only one guy from the band could go, which was going to be Kelly Hansen, the singer, and. I got the first mix back, and I just I told the guys, I go, I'm gonna call Michael and tell Michael, either I get to go to the mix and fix a couple problems that I have with it, or I, I'm I'm out of here. I just I don't want to put my name on it. You guys can use my work or whatever, but I just and so they let me go, and I I just got it how I felt that it should be to a compromise, and um, so that was it. But yeah, it, it usually goes for the producer. The producer usually wins. You're hiring him to do that, to basically be the boss. Well, okay, so for a lot of the listeners that aren't musicians and have never been in a recording studio, when you're going to the mix, can you tell them what your uh, interest is in when you go there? When you say you want to fix some things, can you kind of explain the process of how mixing happens? Yeah, basically... Um, in, that, in those days, it was a tape, a two-inch tape. It was like this, and it would have individual 24 tracks of audio. And you could, um, the, the 24th track would have this code on it that the computer of the mixing console could lock to it. And so you could make it a, a change and then hit save, and then it would, it would raise the volume at the exact same time every time it hit that code. And so it was advanced for the time. And um, but every instrument would would be controllable, so you could say say we're talking about my lead guitar was the issue. He, there was a chorus sound that was kind of a spatial sound that the engineer put on there, and to me it sounded made it sound really light, kind of too twangy, and I wanted it to be tougher, more along the lines of of you know the sounds that I liked, like Jimmy Page. Mm -hmm. or, Jeff Beck, or even like newer guys like Randy Rhodes, or people like Gary Moore, and uh, so I just didn't want that effect on there. I wanted it more dry, and so he said, "No problem, you know." And and but can I put this echo on it? I was like, "Yeah, yeah, that's cool." So 
each track you can control in the mix. So if you have an issue, say the lead vocalist thinks the vocal is too thin sounding, then you can turn some equalization and and beef it up a little bit. You know, make bring out the bottom sound of the of the voice. And there's all kinds of stuff you can do now with it. What everyone records, in case they don't know, it's called Pro Tools. And Pro Tools is computer-based recording that you can, it's got the ability to to completely change anybody to sound like, you know, an amazingly talented person. But you try to avoid doing that because you get stuck in a, having the thing sound too processed. You basically just got to record like it's still a tape. You know, do your, do your practicing stuff and then come in and, and, and play it in one take or, or maybe a couple takes and you can put it together as a, as a master take. But um, it's hard to explain the whole mixing thing in, in, in a short amount of time, but basically you, you've got control over every instrument and you can blend them up or down to make it sound how you think it should sound. So as fans, we've always heard stories about, oh, you know, the the lead vocalist got in there as it was being mixed and brought his vocals all the way up and buried everybody else in the band. And then the lead guitarist comes in and goes, what the hell's going on? And you bring yours. I mean, does that really happen? Oh, yeah. It, it, but usually, <laughs> usually now the, the band, usually out of respect, you give the, the mixing engineer um, the room to do what he wants to do and the, and the producer the room to do what he wants to do to get his vision out there. And then you can make some small changes. With the Dead Daisies, we work with Ben Gross on, on a record that's uh, going to come out next year called Holy Ground. And Ben was amazing. You know, it was like he, he at this point, I, I, when I'm working with somebody, I can tell whether they're, they've got a, a vision and, and he absolutely did. He, he brought it to a new level. So he just would go to work on the mix and then we'd kind of make comments about, hey, could we try a little bit more of this or take a little bit less of that? And it was pretty much the way I recorded it was the way he mixed it, so it was fine. But in the old days, when I was working with Lion, we worked on a mixer that was not um, controlled by that Simpty code. And you'd basically just roll the tape and then you'd mix it and then it would come out two channels out of the back of that mixer and go to a basically like a reel-to-reel stereo, just two mm-hmm. tracks. So because um, it's two tracks left and right stereo is what records were pressed as. So you had to take that tape and then you'd get it mastered. They'd kind of smooth out the whole each song and make sure they're all kind of at the same level. Maybe they add a little EQ to the overall thing, or maybe one song doesn't have enough bass guitar, so you you could add some, a little bit more bottom end to that song and make it work. But when you're mixing without a computer, without the computer mixer, like in the in the 80s and stuff, you had to do it on the fly. So like, say it's a drum intro and you want to have the cymbals be really loud, you, you, you ride the cymbal, you push the cymbals up, during that intro and then you bring them back and you usually would have a piece of tape with a mark on it where you'd go back to that point and it took basically the whole band and our engineer with Lion to mix our first record and we'd do it at the same time and it got to the point where they'd put like on my lead guitar track or my guitars I'd have rides you know like for the chorus it would go up or went after the chorus it would go back to the riff and it would go really up and then it would go back down for the for the verse and they, I'd have the marks and it and it it was very rare that you'd get it in one go. You had to do like 10 mixes and then it would be like, that's the best one. But it would get to the point where you'd, 
we'd start the mix over again and I'd be looking at the fader, I'd be looking at the thing and going, wait a minute, is it exactly on that same line? It looks, I think it's just a little higher, just nudge it up. (laughs) (laughs) And then with solos and stuff, it got to the point when the guy's like, look, I don't want you riding your solo because they even tried to put like a razor blade to stop my, (laughs) from going further. Like, okay, (laughs) or you're going to break the machine. And I was like, I kept trying to get it closer to the razor blade and it was like, Forget it. we're gonna mix your guitar for you and then you you put your hand you do the bass or you do the vocals or whatever so every and it worked out but it it was really and yes of course like what you're talking about it happened so many times with bands that I, I would read about that somebody would go in and and just change the whole mix I mean I think that happens that happened more than we know you know that's crazy you, get a, you start chasing your tail, and it's like, you know, even when you're working, even, you know, there was times when I'd be engineering Whitesnake stuff, and, and David Coverdale would have a, a vision of what he wanted, but he didn't, maybe, he didn't, he wasn't like a hands-on kind of, like, tweaking the sound. He'd just go, I want that part louder, or I like that part. Maybe put some top end on it, you know, and then I, I would do that. And then he would say, Okay, I'm I'm losing the vocal, and then we go, we got to turn the snare up, and then basically everything would just get louder and louder. Well, so that's you, a, that's what I was going to wonder is if everybody's fighting to make their parts louder, all you end up with is a very loud record. That's right, and it's not the best thing. The problem was was that I just learning how to. I still like, I can do like a rough mix, get a pretty kick-ass sounding rough mix. But when it comes to like doing a proper real mix, when when it's, you've got somebody like David Coverdale wanting it a certain way, it's pretty daunting for me. I just want to play guitar now. That's basically where I'm at. So, um, yeah, demos so- and rough mixes, it's 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 good. But you need to get a, engineers. Sound engineers are you know are that because they actually went to school and learned about frequencies and how to blend things so that things speak without being louder. You know, right. Well, so I'm curious then, if you think about like all of the records, not necessarily that you played on, but just records that you love growing up, which is one of them that you think is one of the best sounding recordings you've ever heard? I mean, there's so many, but just thinking about, um, well, I mean, everything from Jeff Beck, Blow by Blow is my first guitar experience. The guitar really is so clear and it you can, it's almost like when you were listening in headphones, it's like you can touch the guitar. It's right there. And George Martin produced it, so it's got to be good, you know? Yeah. And then Van Halen 1, Ted, Temple, Ted Templeman made such a killer sound for those guys. It was unique with Eddie kind of on one side. And then I guess um, my friend Brian Tishy, awesome drummer, told me that um, they mixed... They mixed it so it would sound like it sounded in, in Alex's headphones. So Eddie would be on his left-hand side. So that's why he's on the left-hand side of the the, the records on those early ones. But um, I love the Eagles records. I love Pink yeah. records. Allman Brothers, Skinner, was that Skinner uh, Street Survivors. I thought that was a killer sounding record. But I never, you never, I never really thought about it. Errol Smith had for those early records I loved. Um, well, Jack Douglas, he was, you know, he does some great work. It's just, I'm curious always because that's the weird thing. We debate that here on the show 
is you can have such a difference in production among 10 records that are all literally released in the same year. And I don't necessarily know if going digital has gotten better or gotten worse. It depends, I suppose, on your point of view. But it's amazing to me, like still to this day, how good even, you know, like the Beatles records sound from the 60s, you know. Yeah, it's, it's just a warm, it's a warm analog sound that eventually, you know, now everything's gotten digitized when, you, when you're streaming those amazingly warm recordings. It's down to digital, but they're, they're so warm. I mean, it's almost like you just can't screw them up. But um, early days of digital was, was a little glitchy, maybe, I guess. Yeah. But, but uh, it's, gotten, it's gotten pretty good now, you know, when you, when you go up to 96K kilohertz or whatever it is, um, it's a very... It's a very clear sound. I think what going my first experience going from tape to digital was that it whatever you put into the tape, like if I put my if I recorded my guitar into the tape, it kind of came back fatter than than it than it than it when I put it in. You just have this little com- tape compression that would make it a little punchier, and it was just a little warmer. And then the, the other thing about tape and analog is if you were working on a record for a long time and going back and forth, rewinding, and then recording and rewinding, recording, every time you play, every time the tape goes over the tape head, a little bit of the, the oxide, I don't know what it's called, but the metal, <laughs> metallic, the, yeah. the, the magnetic particles would come off. And so you'd have to clean the heads every three or four hours, and this black stuff would come off the tape heads. And that was your sound. That was your, that was your. So the longer that you worked on a session, or you went back and forth and did overdubs, the earlier stuff that you recorded, like say the drums, would get duller and duller and duller. So that in the beginning they sounded really crisp, but then by the end of the recording, the drums always you had to add some top end, and you could do it with tape where it it just it just was it just made it sound great. The better it sound, made it sound better with digital. What you put into it is what you get out of it, and it stays like that forever. So it's a little, it was kind of a cool thing when you were fighting a tape machine because it would, it would automatically make everything sound better and warmer the, you know, the more you used it. I, I, I imagine that on a tape machine, as you were describing, going back and forth and over and over and over, sometimes something actually gets added to the sound that you weren't expecting that actually made it better. I mean, is that is that true as well? Um, I don't. I mean, tape hiss. You might get more of that. <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> um, I remember Andy Johns, who um, was he had worked with Zeppelin and Stones and Hendrix, and and then he he worked with House Awards, and he and I hit it off. And he would just he would just go, man, this digital thing is killing me because. I'm so I know what to put into a tape machine because I know what's going to come back, and and I know what it's going to sound like. And with digital, I, I'm used to put recording things in a certain way. It comes back just how I put it in. And it's not what I want. So he'd have to make up the difference with the digital plugins and stuff to to do it. But he ended up getting you know. He, he one time he came over and helped me with a white snake mix, and he did something with. It was really drastic and radical. And I go, isn't that kind of like crazy what you're doing? He goes, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just using my ears. That's what sounds right. <laughs> and so he was yeah. 
Yeah, he was an old school guy. It didn't matter how much if you were going, you know, cranking the the the, the tone till whatever, as long as it sounded good. That's what those old school guys went with is their ears. Would, would would tape force you to be a better musician than digital in some aspects? Because as we know, you can, and you stated, you can correct anything on digital. I mean, you can auto-tune somebody's vocals yeah. right there digitally, where on tape, you had to be good enough to do it yourself. Yeah, and there's sometimes when I wish that some albums that, there's some albums that I was a part of where I, I know now that I would have been able to make that thing sound better because there was some there was some tuning stuff going on that was a little weird. But, you know, that's what makes it, if you did straighten it out, it would probably, it'd be fine if, if no one ever heard it. But now that people have heard a song where the guitar is a little out of tune or the vocal, you just get used to it. So now you got the technology to fix everything to the nth degree and it it's it does take away the musicality and it, and it makes it much easier i mean sometimes when you're working with um a vocalist who's who's you know i mean a, a big time person you don't want to ask them to do something 20 times you just say i think i think we got it and basically i knowing that i can i can manipulate it a little bit to get it how i know he wanted to sing it or whatever um and and that so that part of it is really cool, but you just can't go crazy with it because it just it takes the life away from it if you go too much. You can take drum, a drum track, and there's a program that will chop it up and space out all the drums exactly perfect to a tempo grid, but it totally takes the feel out of the drum track. Yeah, it's perfect, but then that's why it sounds like a drum machine. That's why drum machine. That's why people still use real drummers because. It just sounds better to not mess with it. Well, yeah, there's something to that live aspect. Do you ever do you ever record something and then when you play it back, it doesn't sound like what you thought it sounded like when you were playing it? Yeah, lots of times. I have um, I have now you know a little bit of um, tinnitus in one of my ears, and it was I got it with when I was working with Dio because before in ears he would he would have his on stage monitors cranking his vocal and I'd come up to the front of the stage and, and he would hit a note and it would just go bam in my street. And so now, you know, sometimes I'll put, I'll record something and I'll go, it's, it's a little too bright, you know, or it's a little too dull because I can't really tell sometimes. Or sometimes I get a ringing in my ear if I listen to music too long, too loud. Of course I love it. I love it loud. I mean, yeah. Guitar player, I mean, I want to, I want the best sound is when it's cranked. But after a while, I get this in my ear, and that fights with my pitch. So it's, it's, um, I don't have, I don't have perfect pitch, but um, that's, a, you know, there's these little things that happen. So sometimes I'll record something going, that's, that's out of tune. It's not right. Doug, Interesting. Doug, can you let, let's talk of about a few of the bands you've you've been in talk to us about working with dio what was he like he was he was awesome he had actually asked me to join the band earlier and i didn't join it because i was in lion and i thought i didn't want to be a sideman i wanted to make it with my guys and lion was a kind of an it was kind of like a white snake junior it was like a yep i remember them you know and um the singer was british 
he was very much like Coverdale. He's he's the one that turned me on to early White Snake stuff before it was really popular, and um, he even looked a little bit like David Coverdale. So I was excited about our band. We had made a, a pretty good record, and Lion seemed like it was one of those bands that was always right there, almost ready to break. We had signed the record company a record deal that was impossible. That basically, there was no way for us. They weren't going to spend any money after the fact. So it just, the band tried to get off the, the deal, and we made a second record with, it's a long story, but we broke up. But I, prior to breaking up, I, I had told Ronnie that I was going to stay with my band. He asked me to join deal. So when he called me back again and said, let's meet up, I was into it. I was ready to, to, to go at that point. And he said, Hey, Doug, you know, we met at an English pub. Ronnie always loved going to English pubs. And that's the first time I met him, we went to a pub. And then the second time I met with him, when I joined, I, we met at the pub, like 11.30 in the morning on the 26th of December. It was like right after Christmas. And he goes, um, you want to play a couple solos on our new record? And I said, no. And he looks at Jimmy Bain and he says, I thought he wanted to... What was this? And I said, I want to play all the guitars. I don't want to do just a couple. So I played everything on the record. He goes, great, start tomorrow. So he just brought out the best in everybody. You know, he brought out the best in me, and he was he was so fun to record with. I mean, he, he was a legend. Before, you know, when I was when I was just a teenager, before I could even drive, I got the Rainbow. Um, what's it called? On stage. And I would hear Ronnie sing, and it was and with, with Blackmore's guitar, it was just insane, you know. And then to be working with him on, he was kind of like he was kind of doing a comeback record, coming back to his. He wanted to make a record like his Holy Diver record, kind of more raw and straight up rock, heavy metal. And so, um, it, we just we just hit it off. And I he'd sit there every day on the side of the mixer, and he'd. Um, do crossword puzzles all day long, crossword puzzles. Hmm. And I'd play a guitar, and he'd be just sitting there with the crossword puzzles, and I'd go, Ronnie, what do you think about that? And he'd go, what? Play, play. I mean, I said, well, you've been sitting right there. Did you hear that? He goes, no, I was doing my crossword puzzle. And, <laughs> he, you know, we, we did the record. We did a great tour. He was just, he always um, was encouraging, and he, I, I just learned so much from him about, like, you know, performing, how to own the stage. I mean, kind of hanging back and watching Ronnie prance on the stage and just own it and watching people watch him. It was like, he was fearless, you know? And he could sing under any conditions, whether he was sick or, or whatever. He, he was, he was, um, he was like, for me, the same kind of a guy like Stevie Ray Vaughan, you know, it was just like, there was no fear. Now, I got a. I just got kind of a fanboy question because uh, before we got on, like I was saying, I'm a, a huge purple oh Blackmore fan. Here no, I'm curious, being that you, you know, worked with Glenn Hughes and David Coverdale and Ronnie James Dio. Did you, I, you know, obviously you grew up as a Blackmore fan. Did Did you ever try? Did you ever ask? Was there any fun, like funny Blackmore stories or anything that they shared with you? Um, you know, about Richie that, uh, you know, you may have asked or been interested in. Yeah, there was a story. I mean, David has a lot of different stories because David and Richie, I, I don't think, I don't know, but I, I think that 
you know, maybe Richie, David was very young when he got in the band. And yeah. Maybe Richie was kind of a little jaded and he, maybe he didn't treat David as, as, as nice as he could have. I don't know, but that's the feeling that I got. And so, you know, David got White Snake together and started kicking ass, you know? And, um, but I asked, Ronnie said, um, I was asking Ronnie about the um, Long Live Rock and Roll album. And he goes, we had, we were, I go, man, my favorite song on that record is Gates of Babylon. Oh, incredible. Yeah. And uh, I go, man, that song, I mean, what was that like? I mean, Blackmore, that riff and everything. And he, he was just, he, he was, he loved Richie so much. And but he said, we couldn't finish that track. We were in the studio and it was, it just, tape would break or the drum head would break or the guitar was out. We just couldn't get the song down. You know, it was like old days. You had to play it live together, you know, in the same room. And so one night above the studio, they, they, I forget where they did long. It might've been in Munich. I'm not sure, but, um, but he said, we Blackmore went home or went to the pub or something. And he said him and a couple other guys went, Ronnie went up to, um, attic and there was a Ouija board up there and they took the Ouija board and um, they were asking you know is there anybody here can you know anybody know what's going on with our sessions you know and started they had their fingers on it and started to spell out you know are, and they said are we going to finish this record and it said and oh and mm -hmm. then it, um are we going to be able to at least finish Gates of Babylon? And, oh, and it's like, who is this? And it's like, B-A-A-L, ball, bow, ball, something like that. And so um, Ronnie goes, man, we were really intrigued. It's like, ball, why are we not, why are we not let us finish this record? And it's spelled, and, and all of a sudden he goes, the thing jumped out of our hands, the little Ouija thing, and it started spinning around, and it went underneath the table, and, and jumped up in there, and landed down, and went B L A K or B L A C K M O R E Blackmore. And he said, "You will never finish this record." So it was just like this freaky story. And Ronnie said he was so scared. I mean, I've never touched a Ouija board. I've never touched one. I don't know about it. But Ronnie said after that day, he never touched one again, and he didn't. He just said it was the craziest experience. And so at the end of the record, as they always would, they put special thanks. And on Long Live Rock and Roll, it says special thanks to this one and that one and this one. And it says no thanks to Ball. But they did finally finish it. And, you know, Blackmore was, um, I mean, the, he's, he is definitely in the top 10 of the most legendary guitar players for rock, you know, heavy metal for sure. <laughs> top five you know for, for rock or something but um he's got a reputation for, for for being a dark guy you know like you know being open to different things or whatever and who knows maybe he maybe he and jimmy page used to hang out and, and like you know trade spells or something i don't know <laughs> well it's, fu it's funny it's just, possible. Just, I, just being really geeky reading about those guys I know that Paige doesn't like Blackmore as a person. Okay. Yeah, so... Um, Maybe and I guess that all came down from their both Sessions guys in the 60s. 
you know, and they used to fight over sessions. And uh, obviously they're both, uh, yeah. both very uh, wanted men, if you know what I mean. You yeah. know what I mean. And uh, obviously, too, I mean, Paige hit out of the, you know, got out of the, got bigger first. You know what I mean? With Zeppelin and, and everyone kind of was chasing Zeppelin's tail. Well, I mean, I don't know what year Smoke in the Water came out, but I think Smoke in the Water is that's 72. 72. Okay, so Zeppelin was already was already big and stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the reason I'm getting Ian Gillen was really a reaction, you know, to Zeppelin getting big, getting somebody who had that sort of voice. Yeah. And, you know, for for what it's worth, I mean, anybody who's heard Child in Time. <laughs> there, there's no doubt about who you know who the master of that so and i'm not talking about just singing but i mean that that high piercing and if you put it this way if you've never heard the song child in time <laughs> google it and hold you know hold uh, hold, uh, uh grab yeah. hold something because that's uh, really pretty incredible stuff at machine head um in well that, that's the funny part because burn to me between those two albums, I, I really, it depends on which day you ask me, which is the greatest Deep Purple record. I mean, I, Burn, that record start to finish. You want to talk about just great bluesy hard rock. I mean, yeah. song, especially songs like Sail Away, yeah. you know, um, just right. amazing songs. I mean, that's not a song that made, you know, the radio or anything, but. That's great. And also, you know, You Fool No One, just, uh, that's just, you know, insane great. Um, yeah, I agree. You know, the musicianship. By the way, also, too, I, I, I'm a big Tommy Bolin fan, and that Come Taste the Band is fantastic. I was curious if you followed along with that, too, if, you, if you're if you a fan of Tommy. I, oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, 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 I Obviously, I heard the Deep Purple stuff, and I really enjoyed his playing and... Um, with Billy Cobham, he played some stuff that was he. he it was kind of spectrum album. Yeah, very fusiony. Had a Jeff Beck kind of vibe to it, but it was a little different too. And yeah, I agree. Looking at Burn versus Machine Head, or say for example, Machine Head for Deep Purple, that's like comparing Heaven and Hell to uh, whatever Sabbath's most popular. Paranoid or something, and they're both great, but they're totally different. Yeah. I, know, I, in a lot of ways. For me, I, I'm I'm biased towards Coverdale and Glenn together because that was like an amazing. Well, like you fool no one. That was that was that's proof of it right there. It's like this killer harmony thing, and David had the had the most stack has. He still has it. He's got the most sexiest, killer, heavy voice. It's just in his his, his cavity right here. It's just it's just sounds like that. And he he would tell you he got that sound because he was trying to emulate the blues guys that were on the radio that had this little distortion in their throat. And it wasn't distortion in their throat. It was the audio equipment that was old and distorting because these guys were singing loud. But David sings like that naturally, and it was it was those like a story like that was just so cool. And Glenn was like the uh, the uh, Olympic, you know, decathlon guy that could just sing. He could sing anything, um, and together it was like pretty amazing. So did I, you, I did you did you see any of uh, 
Glenn shows when he was doing the the purple stuff a couple of years ago? No, I, I didn't get to. Uh, Let me tell you, the, I mean, hair on your arm stood up. I mean, it was that freaking good. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it really was something pretty special. I can tell you, you know, I, I've, I've been really lucky to work with Ronnie and David. David for a long time. David brought out, he made me a lot better. He taught me so much about songwriting. And he basically stuck me in the studio and said, mix this, make this thing work. And I was like sitting there for two weeks trying to get a, a snare drum to sound right. It was, and I finally learned a lot, but I learned that I don't really want to do that. <laughs> but, uh, and then work, after that, I, I needed to take a break and just kind of get back to family. I, my, my son was getting um, to the age where it was just like critical that I, I needed to be home more instead of always writing or touring. And so I took off, but I got the itch to get back out. And right at that time, Glenn called me and said, I'm doing this trio thing with my solo band. And I'd like you to play guitar. My normal guitar player, Soren, is busy doing something. And I really, you know, it's just no keyboards. It's just guitar. I really think, you know, I got to have somebody that I know, that I trust. And would you do it? And I was like, yeah. And we had a blast. And I will say that probably the best, most most craziest jams that I've ever had were with Glenn. Because we would kind of, we we basically make a, a we talk about a structure for how we were going to do songs like Mistreated or Highway Star, or not Highway Star, um, um, Stormbringer or, uh, Storm, or Burn. Or. Stormbringer, yeah. And so, um, and, and then we'd, we'd go off and it would, it would be like, he would play something that I'd play something that we'd come together and then we'd go. And it was just really, an amazing time to for me on stage was working with Glenn, and there was like this chemistry. It was just awesome. So, cut ahead a few years, I I joined the Dead Daisies, and we had been going along, and then finally um, we make a change and get Glenn in the band. And man, he just brought he he's brought so much to the sound. Of course, it's different. You know, it's it's always going to be different. There's a there's a freshness to it that's different. And then there's some aspect from like from David Lowy that is critical to the Dead Daisy sound, and then I'm in there in the mix somewhere as well. But uh, working with Glenn, man, that guy, he's just he he's just so insanely talented. Not only as everyone knows, he's an amazing singer, but his bass playing mm -hmm. is. Yep. Are you from, did that that uh, uh, the because the black country stuff that 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 right that first record black, with black, was it black country communion <laughs> yes that that bass line and the opening song on the the, the debut from that is just he's just incredible man yeah, he's he, well, he, and then when we were touring we would we would have um we'd have sound check and they'd start with the drums and they'd get the drums sounding right and then glenn would come out with the bass and I remember he'd just plug in his bass and just go, yeah. and he would just start playing stuff and it'd just be like, oh my God, listen to that thing. It sounds like it's going to explode. You know, it was just this, this crazy sound that he would get live. And it was almost when he, and then, then they'd play together, the drums and the bass. And I was just sitting there going, he doesn't even need guitar. That's like, <laughs> that, you, need, you need him, his bass. I mean, you need a drummer, Glenn's bass, and a, and a vocal. That's that's all you need, really. It's like the white. It was like the white stripes on steroids. Yeah. So he's 
he's a phenomenon. Glenn, Glenn, to me, has that ability to bring a classic 70s rock sound into 2020. You know, you, you, you listen to it and you go, let me close my eyes for a second. Am I, am I sure this isn't 1975 I'm listening to right here? But it's fresh. But it's fresh, exactly. You know what's cool is he, he would, you know, we'd be writing something and he would say, I, I got this idea and, you know, we'd work on it together a little bit and he'd be like, Doug, you're going to love this. This is like, we'd, we'd record it. A lot of times when we were writing and stuff, I would just record him playing guitar and bass and just to get to, to get the idea um, documented. And then I'd go and work on the guitarist later because I really enjoyed doing it because the way Glenn plays is different as a bass player or because he's English, I don't know, but it's just different and it's awesome. So I learned a lot from, from, from that. But the cool thing was at the end, Glenn would, we'd be listening back and we'd be smiling going, that's freaking, oh, I love it. And he'd be like, Doug, Doug, that is nine, that is 1972 right there. <laughs> yeah. like, and then we'd work on something else. He'd be like, I, I brought him this one thing that he really liked. I, I, I was working on it with him in mind when he, when I heard he was going to be in the band, and um, he uses this term sometimes, Stonewall. He's like, man, that's a Stonewall groove right there. That's a Stonewall groove. And he's just so into it. He is, um, he's probably the most natural. I mean, I don't want to take anything away from Ronnie or David because they're they're just they're legendary. They're my favorites. But Glenn is a natural. You know, musician songwriter he just lives it like in the way like somebody like Stevie Ray Vaughan John Frusciante these guys they don't care about the norm those things in life that other people care about they basically are searching within themselves to find the sound that's it you know that's how Glenn really is so so um, talk to us about what the the daisies are up to right now, and and segue into this album that'll be out next year. We're doing the same as everybody else, trying to stay healthy, stay in. You know, um, I think you know I'm no, I've been seeing Glenn a lot just because we've been we've been naturally kind of gravitating towards writing. He had some music he wanted to to work on, so I'm helping him with that, and and. Um, so we're not sure what, what's going on with, with you know the world right now, so we're just hanging out. But we have a killer album in the can called Holy, uh, Holy Ground. I was going to say Holy Cow. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Holy Ground, and the title track is called Holy Ground. And we were going to kick off the year with Holy Ground and the title track coming out. And then when the COVID hit, we kind of changed everything, and everything changed for everybody. So we decided to hold back the album until early next year and when we can tour to support it because that's really, you know, the vehicle for touring is put a record out and then you've got, immediately you've got an opportunity to talk about press and then people want to secure you play those songs live and especially yeah. when you have a new person in the band like Glenn, they want to, you know, we want a record to support the tour and vice versa. And uh, so we just decided to release um, a single called Unspoken a couple months ago or a month ago or something and it's been we've been really really happy with the result and the reaction from the fans has been really good I had a couple people you know like I say 
of course, when you make a big change, especially with the singer, you're going to get it's going it's not going to please everybody. I mean, it's just the way it is. But if as long as we're happy, that's all that that we care about. And and it'll find you'll find your audience for that. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, the thing is, is that there's nothing wrong. John Crabbe is one. John Crabbe is also one of my favorite singers because of the way that he he the way he commands an audience is very different than Ronnie. Ronnie just was like he was just brutal. He was just so talented, brutal that that he he just you couldn't help but be swept up by that wave. John Crabbe is an equally amazing singer, but he also has this down to earth side that I've never seen in in uh, a lead singer. Um, very like your bro, you know. It's like when you when you see John play live, he he's just chilling, telling stories, telling jokes, and that was what people love about John. So John decided he he had enough of touring, doing band stuff for a while. He wanted to do his solo stuff, acoustic, where he could do his own schedule, his own dates, and and he wanted to do that for a while. So that's why we ended up getting Glenn. But Glenn. Glenn came in going, I'm going to bring this band to a different place, and he, he surely has. So to answer your question, we are little by little trying to um, keep the fans engaged with social media. And I say fans, but it's really pretty much friends, you know, our friends that, that support the Daisies and fans as well. So we're doing the social media thing, trying to, to just last yesterday or the day before we put out the, the lockdown yep. sessions. Yeah. The lockdown sessions is um, we had made some homemade videos with the iPhones and actually recorded on iPhones as well. And then I kind of just did a rough mix and everybody played to it. And uh, I basically I'd get Glenn to record himself playing and then I'd record myself playing to Glenn and then I'd make a mix of that and send that to Dean and Dean would put drums on it and, but, and then David would put his guitar in it. And then somebody video edited it together to make it a quarantine video. And then we decided to release those. Basically, the versions were so different than the, from the record, we decided let's just release it for people to have, you know? Yeah. It's, a, it's called the Lockdown Sessions. And um, it's uh, it's out now and you can, you can hear it on YouTube. I believe, and and then next month, uh, August, we're going to release a, another single from the album, and we just start, you know, find time like everybody else, waiting for things to hopefully clear up, and get back to a, a little normal in the U.S. especially. Yeah. Um, thankfully, you know, the rest of the world, the, the Europe is doing pretty well, and um, a, a lot of you know a lot of places seemingly are doing doing well us is we got a lot of people you know it's it's not it's not um it's not surprising to me that you know a, a virus this infectious is just gonna spread you know it's like we got to try and stay healthy and wait till they've got some kind of vaccine but it, it's it's just uh it's, it's a horrible thing you know now the the the, the, da the daisies have uh have been in the kiss world for many years Opening yeah. for Kiss tours, Kiss cruises, and you brought up the Kiss cruise and and talking to Michael James Jackson there. What what was your impression when you were on the Kiss cruise? Because I the haven't cruise. gone, but 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 Mark's been on every Kiss cruise. 
it's unlike anything else out there. His cruise is, I mean, if you talk, if you, it's it's just nonstop kiss, kiss. Everywhere you look, it's kiss, kiss. And it's all good. You know, the kiss fans are probably the greatest fans in the world, maybe. I don't know. But I've never seen anything like it. I mean, there's there's so much cool, great vibes there. And, you know, everyone's dressed up as them. It's kind of like, you know, for rock fans, it's like Christmas and Halloween all mixed together, you know, with spring break. You know, it's like, that's really what it feels like. You're just drinking and partying and playing and and it's all kiss. And especially on the boat, too, when you get the, like, the guys from Argentina, those guys are out of their minds. Yeah. You know, they dance and jump up and down to every song. And there's, it's just fantastic to see fans from all around the world. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. is South America, but Argentina especially is probably the loudest audience they will always they'll always sing you when you go there and you play um they sing the riff of the song even before the the whole audience is jumping singing you know when, I, when we used to play with white snake they we would do still the night they the whole crowd would be like and they're jumping you know and singing the riff louder than the band it's crazy that's got to feel really good, though, to be a part of that, you know, interaction. Yeah, it's it's very special. It's very it's um such an it's a beautiful adrenaline feeling when you when you got that going. You know, it's the end of the night and people are everyone's sweaty and it's just filthy rock, you know. But um, we, we I remember we played um, a place called Luna Park and in um in Buenos Aires and uh and went so good that the next day David said, you know what, we're going to play again tonight. He just, like, we booked the show again and people it sold it out again. It was great. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, and, and then the KISS fans from Spain, the KISS fans from every country. There's a KISS fan club in every country. Probably. Well, they really seem to take to, and I'm one of them, you know, uh, the, the the dead daisies. I, you know, yeah. I, it's, it's, here's a, here's a really, and this is before you were in the band. Now, I got to tell you, you know, I, 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 I have the, the few records that the Dead Daisies have put out. But my favorite Dead Daisy song is Face I Love. And you guys don't play that anymore. I, I don't even know if you're, how familiar you are with the song because that was before yeah, you were in the I band. learned it because we play it. We were playing an acoustic version of it um, a couple years ago. And we did play it a couple times live on the first tour that I was with. But, um, yeah, that's an old one. I freaking love that. So, a matter of fact, just this past week, I added that song to. I was just going through stuff on. Uh, anyways, I was just making a playlist. And I'm like, gotta zip that one. Up. I love that. That that first EP is really, really good. I, I now that th- who was the singer? That was the guy from that John did the NXS. Yeah, John Stevens. Yeah. Because that was the first time I saw that was again. You know, I I go see Kiss all you know as much as I can, and um, that. Was that? I'm trying to think what tour that was because uh, I'm pretty sure you were in the band because I remember when not with John Stevens that was that was um, that was um, Richard Fortas. Oh no, no but I, 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 I again I've seen the Dead Daisies so many times just because I saw I've seen Kiss so many times. I was trying to sort out. Yeah, that's what I want to ask because you guys weren't playing Face I Love when you were in the band. You know but, with 
with Kiss, we we um, we didn't. We were just. We I think we were focusing on the make some noise record the most, and then we were just grabbing a couple songs from the Midnight Moses from the previous album, uh, Revolution, and then Lock and Load from the song that Slash wrote with with um, with John Stevens, and then. Um, couple of you and I that Richard Fortas wrote with, I guess he wrote that with uh, John Karabi. So Face I Love didn't get it in the set, but it was, you know, we're, we're supporting or opening, so we're going to have a shorter set. Then we would sometimes do a, a headline set and then we would stick that song in there. That's a, that's I, a, that's don't a, interrupt. I got a bail. John, right. It was great Take meeting care, you. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, bro. Thank Thank you. All the best, man. Stay safe. Take it easy. You too. See ya. Bye, guys. Take care. Good really. <laughs> 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 He knows it. Turn off your camera, Tommy. I'm trying. Good Lord. High production values on this podcast, Doug. High production values. Uh, good. <laughs> I actually need to... Um, cut out pretty all right soon. all right so let let let's i've got a let's babysitter give, that is filling in for me right so now, let's so. give you a, a little one final chance here we talked about the dead days anything else you want to talk about promote plug send fans somewhere on the internet um well i want to say to the fans that we really appreciate your support especially we love you guys during this this time when uh we're all stuck at home and tr struggling to to make things work and uh definitely for me you know being online and communicating with the fans has been helpful to keep me sane because i'm used to um kicked out you guys kicked him out that's funny <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i just want to say thanks to the fans for your support and i hope you're doing good and safe and and um you know if somehow we will get back to it doesn't it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel sometimes you know but we will we'll get there you It'll know so happen. hang in there try to stay safe and stay healthy if you can and um and then for updates and stuff um deaddaisies.com and and the dead daisies facebook i'm not a facebook guy i don't really go on there that much but instagram dead daisies has a instagram that they update a lot and um yeah so and I'm 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 on there. Glenn's on there. Dean is on there. Um, so that would basically be it. Ch um, follow Dead Daisies for updates and stuff because there's we have a new single coming out that I I really am excited about. And um, we'll probably do one more maybe at the end of the year as well. So um, and then as soon as possible, we've we we're going to be touring. Um, I believe we're going to start rehearsing in January for, for a tour. So we'll get back to you. Good. Looking Good. forward. To I'm looking forward to the brand new album. There's so yeah. much talent in that band. It's, um, it turned out great. It really, I'm, I'm really excited about the sound. Of, uh, I'm blown away about how Glenn, you know, how he works. I've never recorded with him, but he's, he's awesome. And, and, some there's some kick-ass tunes and a lot of stuff he brought too it was just kick-ass and once the daisies put their print on it you know it um 
it was, it was great. It turned out really well. Awesome. Doug, thank you so much. This was a, a great chat. Likewise. Thank you guys for having me. And um, thanks for what you're doing. Keeping, uh, keeping kiss out there for all, all the fans. And uh, we, you know, everybody loves kiss. It, there's probably, there's probably no country in the, in the world that there isn't a kiss fan club. And so, so from true. the days, like you guys said, from the daisies, we really appreciate your support for everybody. Thank you so much. Cool. All right, Thanks, guys. man. Take care, Doug. Yeah, I'll see you. I'll see you down the road, and uh, and and we'll we'll have some more laughs. Sounds good. All right, All right guys. Take care. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. It's good because Liz walked down with the pizza. She's like, "You want to eat it now?" And I'm like, "No." So so, just so everybody knows, Mark's got pizza waiting. So we're gonna wrap this up. We got to get him fed. Doug was so cool. So cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's. I mean. Come on, look at the talent he is recorded with. I mean, that's quite a roster of people he's he's worked with. Um, and you know, it was fun getting his his own personal take on uh, auditioning for Kiss. Yeah, you always wonder what that's. Can't hear you, Mark. What happened to your audio? Is that better? There we go. Okay, that's uh, all right. Don't let Mark produce your album, people. Oh, I'm actually good at that. <laughs> well, it's funny, too, because I was just like, because, look, I, I started recording back in the early 80s. I, I re- It was funny because we, we couldn't afford 24 track. The very first band I was in were, where we were recording, we were doing 8 track. And, like, he was explaining Sometimes you'd have like your lead guitar part on one of the eight tracks, but you didn't have enough tracks for background vocals. So you'd put your background vocal after the fucking on the lead guitar track, but it was after it. And you had to remember to fucking take it take down. It, take otherwise. it down. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny when he was talking about that tape, because I shit, I've done that a million times. It taped all over the board and fucking, oh, you got to turn that down. Or you got to turn that. Well, or you, you know, if, if, if anybody's, remembers watching old behind the musics or any any documentaries about bands there's always going to be that shot in the studio all these tracks all these sliders and and that's what as he described that's what they're doing they're man they were manually pulling down and moving them up fading fading it up fading it out put this up for one second bring it back down as it was being taking all of those tracks and recording them out to two track so they're mixing it down to two tracks. Yep. Because that's that's the difference when what people don't understand is because I get people ask me and, and just for those of you who don't know, I'm sure a lot of you do, but not everybody does. When they you know the hotter than hell record comes up all the time. They should they should remix that or remap there's a, remixing is like he said, you would have the You gotta you know, have the master twenty four tracks. Yep. Remastering is different. That's now off the the yep. two track, and you yep. that you 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 can't raise levels when you're master. If the master two inch tape is gone, you can never remix it. If the master two inch tape is crap quality, it's going to be crap quality. There's, again, whatever whatever gets to the two inch, or you know yep. whatever gets to the half inch is. That's it. You're, you're. Matter of fact, I have. 
something around here. I've, I've showed a, uh, you know, oh, here it is. I've shown it on the show before. It's just I'm filing stuff away, but this is a great example. This is the 76 demos for See You in, See you in My Dreams, Take Me, and Baby Driver. Mm-hmm. This is this is the you know the the quarter inch. It's a reel to reel tape. Yeah, you can't raise the levels on. No, there 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 there's no there's no twenty four tracks on that. <laughs> yeah, there's two left and right. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's all, and that's all you get. So yep. you know once it's knocked down to that, and that's what you know that's what they make their copies off of. You know for you to listen to. You know the the other ones are to to make that so and 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 that's um, where if you remember um, a few years ago when there was that big warehouse fire in Los Angeles that made the news because lots of master tapes were burnt in storage. That's that, it. That, bye that's, bye. That's why people were freaking out because the two inch masters are put into a vault. You know they're climate controlled. They're well maintained because if that master is gone. The master is gone. Now, you can make a copy of a master. Yes. But it's a copy of a master. Now, you can take that master and digitize it, but now it's it's lost something in that translation going from tape to digital. So it, it is, that two-inch tape is so crucial that people want to protect it. Yeah, but uh, getting back, you know, I, I like I like I said to Doug earlier, you know, I've seen the Dead Daisies of tons of times just because they were with kiss not only on the the kiss cruise but you know they toured with them yeah multiple lots times. of times so i've seen i've seen that band evolve and i tell you what you know i, I was you know asking about something but really check that song out it's off their first ep that uh, face i love God, i just absolutely love that song that is just the quintessential good hard rock song and i remember because it didn't break you know it didn't become a big it was also, you know, when was it, mid-2000s when that came out or whatever. But, man, that's one of those songs I'm like, if that was re- released back in the day, I think it would have been huge. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of great music out like that now, too, you know. It just, it just doesn't, unfortunately, it, you know, we're, <laughs> where does it go? Yeah, you know, it's, I know. It, yep. it's, it's, just, it's just sad. Well, I so- and, again, I don't know how we get back to that. I don't know if it'll ever come back to that. It's just, you know, there's great music out there, people. You just gotta look. You just gotta look for it. You just yeah, it gotta look and listen. There's so much good stuff out there, and 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 Mark and I are both telling you, you gotta check out the Dead Daisies when this new album comes out. Yes. You know, having Glenn doing lead vocals, please. This is going to be a monster. He's a a freak of nature because a lot of singers have lost a step. He, you know, he's very much in that uh, Robin Zander sort of family of guys who really haven't, you know. Yeah, he's he's been able to hold on to it. Yeah, he really has. And and again, you know, that's deep. You know, that's uh, I always loved uh, something that Penn and Teller used to say. do you, did you, were you a fan of that show, Bullshit, at all? No, I don't remember that. Um, 
it was basically they were talking about like diet stuff and they're showing people who are physically you know beautiful and sculpted bodies and and one of the things that uh that Penn said is in order to have great tna you first must have great dna yep so some things are a little out of your you know don't be wrong you work hard and stuff but you're not going to look you, you have to and and that's what i was getting with somebody like Glenn Hughes or Robin Zander versus some other, you know, people maybe struggle now. It's <laughs> you got, you have it or you don't have it. Yeah. It, and you it, can't exactly. buy it. You can't train for it. You are born with it. And it can't be, can't be, you know, uh, augmented by surgery either. I yeah. Mean, again, just some of those things just are just natural. Mm-hmm. And uh, the fact that, you know, Robin Zander and Glenn Hughes still sound as good as they do. Freak of nature, you know. Yep. And and again, you know, obviously, you know, there's people young. See, you're you're talking. Look, yeah, I understand people like Paul Stanley and Ian Gillen. Ian Gillen's a really great example. Um, they there's a reason they don't do Child and Time, which I mentioned earlier in the show. Can't. But then yeah. again, I'm not 20 anymore either. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. Uh, and there's no shame in that, you know. I'm just happy that, you know, guys, you know, from Steven Tyler to Paul Stanley to to Ian Gillen, that within the last few years, I've got to see them. Yeah, you know, as, as, I'd rather as, have them there at, you know, eighty percent capacity than not have them there at all. As you know? as we love to say to piss off people, forget the haters. We won. Yeah, you know, what would you rather have? You know, no Paul Stanley or Paul at eighty percent. I'll take them at 80%. Yeah. Same thing. Again, there's a laundry list of those guys. Um, and I just want them to keep touring. I, you know, I, I was just talking to somebody the other day about this too. I, I saw Lemmy. When did, when did he, he died? What Christmas of what? Two or three years ago, at least two or three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Because I saw the last tour and I remember when I was, I almost didn't go. And, I, and as you guys all know on the show, I'm a huge Motorhead fan. And and then afterwards, I was glad I went. And I could tell it was Lemmy, honestly, probably at 50% capacity. You know, I've seen Motorhead, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And I and I walked away going, glad I went. And he, he was dead, I think, two months later, you know. Um you know, as as you're describing that, anybody who's had a pet, a dog, a cat, any sort of pet that you've had for a long time, you just know when it's the end. It's one of those things you can see in them. The life is different. There's not. You you can just tell. And that sort of sounds like what you you were describing with Lemmy when you saw him. It's like I can just tell this is this is going to be it. Well, you know, it, it, funny thing because if you remember anybody here who's a big Motorhead fan will remember he and this is very unLemmy like he canceled a couple times yep. or cut short yep. shows yep. right before that, and I'll never forget. Um, I was fortunate off. I can't remember the guy's name, and I met him through three sites. Sean, I think. He was working for Motorhead, and, and he gave me backstage passes, and and I was going to go, and and I just remembered going. You know, 
I know he's not feeling well. I'd seen, you know, at that point, I've already seen video and stuff. I'm like, I'm not going to go back there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Let him, you know, if he is available. I And plus, I'd, I'd met him a few times before. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to stay out here. You know, no need to. And there, I think that was a good move, too. You know, yeah. not that I would have ran into him or talked to him or anything. But, you know, it was one of those times. It was like, you know what? I'm just going to enjoy the show. I don't need to, to to go back there and, you know, this is a guy who needs his rest. You could tell. I, again, anybody who remembers that time, that last Motorhead tour, you know, was touch and go on, uh, you know, and uh, he made it through the, the tour and literally died shortly thereafter. Yeah, exact days after, it seemed like. Yeah, yep. so. So homework for this week. I think the obvious question is, are you a Dead Daisies fan? Have you seen them? What songs of theirs do you love? Um, and you know what? We'll throw in the same thing about Glenn Hughes because he's in the band now. Because Glenn has been on a lot of stuff prior to the Dead Daisies. What do you like from Glenn's catalog? So head over to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Leave us your homework question. And uh, that's it. If you're watching us on YouTube, subscribe. If you're on Spotify, follow us. iTunes, subscribe and leave us a review and a rating. And uh, that's it. We'll see everybody next week. Love the show. Go to iTunes.threesidesofthecoin.com and leave your review and rating of Three Sides of the Coin. Thanks. Download your free free copy of the KISS School of Marketing. 11 Lessons I Learned Working with KISS. The number one downloaded business book on Noise Trade. Go to books.noisetrade.com slash Michael Brandvold. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. So you love the show. Go to iTunes.threesidesofthecoin.com and leave your review and rating of Three Sides of the Coin. Thanks.